So let's turn on to the passage for this morning, which you'll notice makes reference to the account Chris has just read for us, and that is 2 Peter, and on your, in your Bible it's on page 1225. You can help me this morning if um, you check that your phones are not on. We had several, several interested parties phoning all sorts of us last Sunday morning. So <laughs> that'll help us along. So we'll read 2 Peter chapter 2. Some of this might be completely new to you and some of it might sound very odd. And uh, that's okay. We'll work our way through it. And one of the themes that um, we'll be we'll be seeing, as I mentioned, is how we can trust God to rescue and we can trust God to judge. So we'll read the whole uh, chapter together. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world but preserve Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly? If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly? And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lusts of defiling passion and despise authority. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones, whereas angels though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. They counted pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed. Accursed children, forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, 
but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world, through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the proved proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. And so reads God's word. You may have never encountered anything like what I've just read before, but we're going to enjoy, enjoy considering it together. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that uh, we don't get to decide what you say. Thank you, Father, for all of your scripture, that it all speaks to us of Jesus and of your rescue in the gospel and of your coming judgment also. We pray as we explore this together, would you impress your truth upon us by your spirit and give us understanding in the name of Jesus. Amen. There was a, a TV healer type dude uh, called Peter Popoff who was quite a big deal in, in the 80s. I know some of you were only born in the 80s, never mind that. But he was a, he was a big guy back in the 80s and he was proven to be uh, a complete fraud because a private investigator type, a journalist rather, wanted to find out the truth because he was suspicious of this Peter Popoff guy. And, it, and he found out that while people were filling in uh, prayer cards about their needs and their addresses and so on, he would give those to his wife and then his wife would speak into his earpiece as he was roaming the room and he would call out names and details based on the, on the cards that were being prompted to him in his earpiece. And so this was all, all revealed, and he was shown to be an absolute fraud. So you would think that after that, there would be, there would be no comeback from something like that, right? So as I was reading this passage, I was thinking, I wonder what ever happened with this pop-off dude. So I went to my trusty mission partner, Google, to ask, ask him, and he and his wife are as brazen as ever. Peter Popoff Ministries running just as strong as ever today. He's quoting the Bible, he's repeating the name of Jesus, and he's talking about miracle wealth manifestation, miracle debt relief, new cars, new homes, new furniture, anointed checkbooks. He's talking about um, miracle spring water that you can get and you can you know, like some kind of holy shaken vac around your house and on your checkbooks. The guy's a fraud. But yet there he is. And he's preying on the vulnerable. He's lining his own pockets. And stuff like that puts everybody off. Anything got to do with Jesus. And, and faith. It makes all of us rightly uh, suspicious. And it makes all of us mad 
I think regardless of, of where it is we're coming from, I think you're right, you know, what, what's the deal? What's God doing about this type of, of thing? Doesn't God know how to rescue truly needy people? Doesn't God know how to judge charlatans? What, what's he doing? Does he know how to judge the swindler and the con man who's standing there promising prosperity to vulnerable people with an open smile and an open Bible? Does God intend to do anything about the types of faith healers that are telling you to touch the screens in front of them to release some mystical power upon your life? Well, this letter, Peter, and second Peter here, is written by the apostle Peter, as the name of the book goes, and he's all over this stuff. And he's saying, look, God is aware of this, and God knows how to rescue, and he knows how to judge, and this stuff's old news. Don't be taken in by it. Look what he says in the opening verse. So frank, but false prophets also arose among the people. Just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. See, the Bible is no book of fairy tales. What you find when you read the Bible is it has an extraordinary habit of saying it like it is, of saying things which seem to resonate with our experience as we encounter it, because it's true. And here is a frank description of the very thing I have just described. In the previous chapter, he's talking about true prophecy. Now he's saying, but false is there too. And it has always been the case. It's been true in the Old Testament, if you read that. It's true in the New Testament. The warnings against this type of thing are right through. And it is something that actually we ought to expect. We should expect to see these things. And we should expect God to do something about it. When you notice how he says that the false prophets arose, but then he says that they, they secretly bring in destructive heresies, verse one. You know, Peter Popoff isn't saying, I just wanna get rich, but just so you know, this is a destructive heresy, you know, disclaimer. That's not how it happens, is it? They secretly introduce false teachings that is destructive and that is untruthful and that dupes people. But it's to their own destruction. You know, if you look at um, Oprah, right, maybe a good way to, for me anyway, to annoy myself is to watch those who are peddling some kind of spiritual formula on, on Oprah. Um, I haven't seen all the ones that have ever been, so I'll give that disclaimer. But generally what I find is that everybody's loving it. They are lapping it up, their crowds are going crazy, everybody wants some of whatever it is they've got. Right? There's not much of take up your cross and follow me. Give me everything you've got and life's going to be hard. I don't really hear that kind of thing. But what I do see is people just absolutely delighting in, in what's being said by these particular gurus. But look at, look at 
what the scriptures are saying is that many will follow, verse 2, many will follow. And because of them, the way of truth will be this brought into uh, disrepute, will be blasphemed, will be, people will just say, you know, this whole Christianity thing is a joke. And um, that is something that we ought to expect to be the case. Peter is outlining it here uh, clearly for us. And the scriptures are saying to us, look, this is not the way. And there is a motivation of greed and money that we are all aware of and that we, we despise naturally when we see it. And there it is in verse 3. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. You see how contemporary this, this actually is? And they exploit with false words. Miracle health and miracle manifestation and miracle spring water. I mean, who's that appealing to? That is appealing to people with real financial needs. That is appealing to people with real debilitating illnesses. That is appealing to vulnerable people who are looking for rescue in the wrong place and they are being preyed upon. Peter is concerned for us to know where true rescue is found and to know false stuff when, when we see it. So never trust a church or a church leader who is coy about money. Never trust a pastor who will not tell you what he's paid or how he's paid or who will not let you see the church finances in a, in a setting of a members meeting. Do not settle for that. That is not okay, ever. Look for transparency. And never trust those promising to reveal some powerful or special secret to you if you give them something in return. Never trust that. The good news has been revealed in Jesus. That's what Peter is talking about. The good news is transparent. It is open to all of you, not some special group or not after you've jumped through some myriad of secret hoops. There are no secrets in the gospel of Jesus. It is made known and is available to you. I don't need your credit card details. I don't want them. And so you, it doesn't require any of that. So what's, what the scriptures are saying to you is not just believe everything you hear. It's saying to you, look, know what you believe and know why you believe it and know the people who are teaching you are trustworthy and know that there are those who are false. There always have been and there always will be. Search the scriptures and see if these guys are the real deal. Listen to your gut. Do the people who are teaching you what the scripture says or who are saying they represent Jesus, do they strike you as, as open people, honest people, people you can trust? People who you don't come away thinking, you know what, I think I... I actually think I felt slightly manipulated by that person today. But, I'm, you know, but it's pastor, maybe I shouldn't think like that. Yes, you should think like that. I know I'm telling you this. And you think, well, can I trust what you say about not trusting what, you, what people say? That can't be helped because I'm up here trying to relay this stuff to you. But, you know, if you do feel that, come and talk to me. <laughs> you know, don't go and put it out in the streets. <laughs> come and talk to me about it, you know. Somebody will knock me into the line. But you know what I'm saying? You know, um, you shouldn't, there shouldn't be secretive or manipulative stuff or coy things. 
in, in the life of a healthy church or in the, in the, in the teaching that, that happens. Never, never okay. Not sometimes a little bit of that's all right. No, never, right? Um, I don't count the money. Okay, two people go in there, they count the money from the offering, which is a gift that we give as part of our worship to the Lord. We do that, we'll do that after, uh, before we leave today. I don't go near that money. Two other people go in, they count it, they document it, they write it down, and it goes to our parent organization who are given that amount. They bank that amount, that goes into the books. I can't just go and spend a thousand quid if I feel like it. There are parameters within our systems where you need permission for things, okay? That's just a little insight into how, th how things are done. People know what our finances are. People see them. People give to them and so on. But they are available, not just a tiny little select group of people um, to whom that type of stuff is, is made known. <clears throat> well, old pop-off didn't pop off for too long, unfortunately. And it's quite infuriating, actually. You know, it's maddening. It's, it's maddening to see Jesus so grossly misrepresented and to see people who are vulnerable being exploited. And so you have to ask yourself the question, you know, right, God, what are you going to do about that? If it's bugging me, surely it's bugging you. No? Well, I'd want to shut old Pop-Off down if I were God. You know, just speaking frankly. I, I, I don't know how patient I would be in such an instance. But doesn't God know how to rescue the needy and how to judge the faults? Well, that's the ra that is the main point of this section. Now, there are things in it that may be unfamiliar to you, and, and that's okay. But look at verse 9 where he makes his main point amidst some of these tricky things. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. That's his bullseye in, in, this, in this chapter. That is the big point he's wanting to communicate. That is the take home point that Peter is making here. The question then is, how can you know God's good for that? How can you know? I was thinking, if, if I were to go and get a, a tattoo, I haven't got any, but if I were to go and get one, I like looking at them, mind you. I like to see permanent commitments other people make. <laughs> yeah. And so anyway, um, there's a local tattoo shop up the road there, uh, Color Works Tattoo Shop. If you're, if you're into that kind of thing, that's a good place to go, right? And, you know, if I was going to get a tattoo, am I going to ask for the apprentice? No, I'm not personally going to ask for the apprentice. Am I going to ask for somebody who I know a clue who they are? No way. I'm going to say, I want the guy or the girl who I've been looking at their portfolio for the last year to tattoo me. And I want to look at their full portfolio now again just to make sure. And I want them to do me a design and I want to pass it and I want to be certain. That's what I would do. Have any of you guys got tats? No? Some of you? Yeah, yeah, some of you. They're worth a little bit of research, aren't they? Worth looking into. Because you, once they're there, they're there, right? But 
That, that's what you would do as an example. You look at the portfolio. And what Peter's doing in this, he's saying, look, here's my main point now. Look at the portfolio of what God has done to show you that he is good for his word, and that, he can be, that he can be trusted. So he opens this portfolio with these three examples in verses four to eight. Now this may have been uh, where perhaps you, you were a little bit unsure of, of the content, but let me give you a little uh, talk through it. So he says God did not spare angels when they sinned. That's the first example. That comes up in Genesis six. It's a little bit of an unusual example, but there was a rebellion of a kind with angels. You find that in, in the book of Genesis. And then he also talks about Noah in verse five. You might be more familiar with that and, and the flood where he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, he puts it. And then he also references in verse six, Sodom and Gomorrah, which again, you may have heard of those allusions. They're all incidents from the book of Genesis. The second two may be better known and you can read more about them for yourself in, in that book, the first book of the Bible. There's a lot of confusion around uh, Noah, for example. I was on YouTube doing research on Friday and I typed in Noah and rock monsters and watched the scene of the rock monsters in the, in the movie. You know, there's no rock monsters in Genesis, right? As an example, there's a lot of wacky stuff out there about what the Bible's meant. Say, you read it for yourself. There was no rock monsters. Um, and similarly, uh, with Sodom and Gomorrah, there is a common perception that that was all about sexual impurity. It's about a lot more than that. So the other prophets comment on the city and say they loved money and they had a complete disregard for the needy. And God was not pleased with that. So there's always more to find out. It's part of the joy of being a Christian. I'm reading the Bible for yourself. I think, oh, I didn't, I didn't know that. I had no idea about that. Lo and behold, no rock monsters. Lo and behold, a lot more than just the sex thing going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. It's all about informing ourselves. And Peter, though, is assuming that the readers would have known those stories, perhaps a little bit better than, than, than we might. But they're evidence of God's portfolio because in these examples, we are being told that God knows how to judge and how to rescue. He didn't spare the angels when they sinned, verse four. He didn't spare the ancient world, verse five and he turned cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes. So these are all themes of you can trust God to judge, and then also you see the theme of rescue. You can trust God to rescue, because he preserved Noah, verse five, and seven others, and then he rescued this man called Lot in verse seven. He um, was rescued, he was related to, to another figure at that time called, called Abraham. So they're showing that you can trust God to rescue the godly from trials and to judge the unrighteous. You can trust that. And maybe perhaps that's bringing you a little comfort this morning because you're thinking, well, here's my problem. I don't think I'm godly. Therefore, how is God going to rescue me? That's the fair question that comes up from that, isn't it? I'm not worthy of rescue. I think judgment's coming full steam ahead for me. Well, Peter starts out this little book telling us the good news that Jesus has provided everything you need for life and godliness. He provides everything. And when you look into the cross of Christ, there you find the ultimate expression of the truth that God knows how to rescue and how to judge. Jesus takes upon himself the judgment that we deserved and offers us rescue. 
He saves us from the coming judgment. He makes a way out of the mess we're in. And each example given by Peter here ultimately is a rescue from God's own judgment. Alternatively, maybe you're here and you think, you know what? I don't think I need to be rescued from anything. I don't get it. Well, look again at the cross of Christ and ask what was so serious about our condition that Jesus would die to secure a rescue for me and ponder that. But none of us have deserved that rescue, but rescue us he does, you can trust that. But as much as we desire rescue, we would like it, I think, wouldn't we, that God would put the wrongs to right as well. That's a natural response. Nobody, no, we know we're not perfect, but at the same time we say, you know what, I really don't want the swindlers to get away with it, scot-free. And so Peter takes another leaf from God's portfolio. It's a little bit quirky. It's the incident with uh, Balaam and this talking, talking donkey that uh, Chris, Chris read for us. So he talks about that, if you notice, uh, in the second in the second half um, of the chapter. It's, where is it now? Somebody shouted at me where he mentions Balaam. Um, verse 15, thank you. Yeah, forsaking the way, they have gone astray, they have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing. Now, you probably, all of you, I'm sure, have at least seen one of the Shrek movies, right? <laughs> if you have. Uh, and this is, this is Donkey. Here. He did have a little uh, saddle on him, but it's gone now. It's one of those toys from McDonald's. Uh, it's a talking donkey. I'm sure Peter would have just loved, I think he would have just loved this, this thing. I think he probably would have loved Shrek. And, and every time that account is read in numbers, I can't help but hear Eddie Murphy's voice. <laughs> you know, what have I done to make you beat me these three times? <laughs> You know, but, but you know, see, the Bible's not as foreign as you think. Um, but it's a girl in that account in Numbers. But um, yeah, that that's what's going on. It's a talking donkey, and he uses this kind of quirky incident from from the book of Numbers to illustrate uh, his point. So he says about. God could be trusted to judge. Forsaken the right way, they've gone astray. They followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor. And what was his issue? He loved gain from wrongdoing, but rebuked for his own transgressions. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. And Balaam was a false prophet who attracted God's judgment. You know, he was the kind of guy who'd tell you, touch the TV screen and give me your credit card details. That's the kind of dude Balaam was. He was greedy and a corrupt false prophet. He's the kind of guy to get God, he would, he would say whatever you wanted God to say for the, right, for the right amount of money. And a very different setting, of course, to pop off ministries and their anointing spring water, but the principle really is much the same. And, and it's, it's old news. That's what this example is saying to you. And it's telling you that God will not let it go because he, the axe will fall. You notice he says in verse, in verse 12, but these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed. 
in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. So they won't, they won't get away with it. And it's the same old issues of money, sex, and power. Um, suffer, they counted pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deception while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable uh, for sin. They're in verse, in verse 13 and 14. I mean, how many times have you heard of preachers or, or similar types of individuals being found with, with prostitutes or embezzling money or flying here and there in a private jet? I mean, you hear this stuff all the time. Living in mansions, it's an old problem, but God sees it and he's bothered by it and he will act on it. That's what the portfolio of God's purposes is saying. Balaam didn't get away with it. He's actually killed in the book of Numbers. And these guys won't get away with it either. Guys like Popoff may stage a comeback and get away with it for now, but they won't get away with it in the end. You can trust God to judge. You can trust God to rescue. And why should they get away with it when they lure people into slavery and all the time are promising freedom? You see in verse 18, speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh, those who are barely escaping from those who live in error, they promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. Now, people can of course be ex uh, enslaved by that which is sexually explicit, but also the promise of a debt-free life, or of health, maybe more subtle things. Maybe not what is said, but perhaps what's left out, smoothing over parts of the Bible that people may not want to hear, or twisting what is said to make it appear more palatable, make it sound legit, but when, it, when actually it's promising freedom and delivering slavery. You know, I've yet to meet a single person who's told me they've been liberated by materialism or who has experienced the freedom of pornography, or who has celebrated feeling that they can't get away from some debilitating thing that they just can't stop doing or thinking about or wanting. But I have met lots of people that tell me Jesus has set them free. I've met a lot of people like that. Only Jesus can deliver freedom and only he can deliver on that promise but these guys will be judged for what they have done you can trust God to judge to right all wrongs you see in verse 21 he says it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment and delivered to them And of course, it begs the question, well, you know, weren't these guys Christians? I mean, what's happening there? And he says in verse 22, what the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. It's clear from here that these guys look like the real deal. They knew what the gospel was, but they reveal their true character, actually, in the end because like a sow returns to the muck, like a dog returns to its vomit, they revealed that in fact their true character had never changed. And that was demonstrable in the way in which they subsequently behaved.
God knows how to judge, and that is meant as an encouragement to those who are firmly established. It's meant as an encouragement to know that God can rescue and God can judge. And part of the warning of this chapter is to be realistic about what's out there, to be savvy about what's out there. There's a lot of experts in greed. Again, if you want to annoy yourself, sit for 24 hours in front of the God channel. You'll find some good things. You'll find a lot that'll make you really mad. And everywhere on those Everywhere out there in the world, especially now with the way media works, are those who seek to exploit. The scriptures are warning you about that very thing and assuring you that God knows how to rescue needy people through his cross. He knows how to judge people. He has secured that and will deliver that finally, again, through his King Jesus. He protected Noah and seven others. He sheltered them. He rescued them. He rescued them from those opposing them, and he rescued them from his own judgment. He rescued Lot. Lot was a dude living in the wrong place at the wrong time. He could have easily been swept away by the corruption around him. He could have gone up and smoked himself, but that didn't actually happen. He saw, yeah, Peter here says that he was distressed by what he saw and his surroundings. Even though, if you read Genesis, I tell you what, Lot was far from a poster boy of obedience. You read the account, you'll be in for a little bit of a shock. And yet, because of the rescue Jesus delivers, he can be considered a righteous man. I find that reassuring. God knows how to rescue people who are a mess. He knows how to rescue people who are a bundle of contradictions. And that's just about all of us, isn't it? It had better be. Through the cross of Christ, Jesus secures our rescue and he rescues us from the coming judgment. And in between, we can expect trials and we can be confident that Jesus will not fail to keep rescuing us. He knows how to rescue. Pop off will promise you a new car, new homes, new furniture, debt relief and all that. But only Jesus delivers that and delivers that even through the trials that we experience. There'll be plenty of trials for you if you already follow Jesus or if you've just started or if you're thinking about it. There will be plenty of trials. It's a battle to keep going when everyone around you thinks that you're nuts. It's a battle to keep going when you see things like pop-off ministries and others bringing the, the, the gospel into disrepute. It's a battle to believe when the church looks so weak and compromised and those are real trials that we can be sure of. And they accompany the real gospel. And Jesus is your reference point there. Even if we're taken to the point of death for the name of Jesus, his rescue will stand because he will bring his judgment to bear. He will right all wrongs and he has secured a place for us with him. And nothing false can ever tarnish that or remove that. You can trust him to do that. His cross secures it. Do you know what it is to trust him in that way? Don't let the likes of pop off put you off from the truth. Spare yourself the touching of the TV screen or the equivalent and get yourself stuck into the scriptures. See what they say. 
measure it up against the people who say they are teaching you. Ask yourself, is this the truth? And be assured that behind it, there is a God through his cross, through his son, through Jesus Christ, has secured a rescue. And you can trust him to rescue. And you can trust him to judge. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you that you are a trustworthy God. Lord, we have messy lives and the world's messy out there. We pray that you would enable us to trust you, to trust that you can be trusted, to trust that you are good, that you are strong and you are right. Would you help us to explore your truth, to know your truth, to dig deep to find out these things. Thank you for Peter and his warnings. Thank you that, that you've shown yourself through your activity in the past to be worthy of our trust and that you, Lord, know. You know what you're doing. Would you assure us with these things and help us to, to dig deep into your word to find out more about all of these things with the help of your spirit. Thank you that your word is full of such fascinating things. In Jesus' name. Amen.